welcome to another episode of I'm a Sophisticate and So Can You. I am one of your hosts, Anthony. And I'm another of your hosts, Sydney. Great. And this week we are talking about... <laughs> it is great. It is great. It's great to be us. It is great to be us. It is great to be recording in this guest room in our house. <laughs> yes. The garage is out of commission right now. Yeah. Because it got too wet. So uh, this week we are covering... Regina Spector mm-hmm. and Casablanca. Uh-huh. <laughs> Quite a combination. Yeah, we have fun. We have fun here. <laughs> putting things together. Yeah. What do we think about these things? So Casablanca, I have... Okay, this is a little bit of a cheat for me because I have seen it. Mm-hmm. However, it was ooh, 15 years ago almost. Mm-hmm. I was. It was early college when I yeah. saw it and I've only seen it once. Yeah, and it's feels like a big enough of a deal mm-hmm. that my not having ever seen it is worth going back for. Yeah, exactly. It's a little bit like when we did Tom Waits and you were like, I have actually listened to a few Tom Waits albums and I feel like I, I understand it, but I am interested in revisiting because I want to know more. Yeah. That's how I feel about Casablanca. Sure. But what do you think it's going to be? Well, I truly don't know. I think there are going to be small airplanes I know that it has, it's, it has like all the most famous, like I know a lot of things that they're going to say to each other because they're the most famous lines. Yeah. But I don't know in what context these things are going to arise. Yeah. Is it named for the town in Morocco? Yeah, it takes place in Casablanca. Okay, yeah. So I know that because one time I went to Morocco and they were like, Casablanca's here and I was like what oh so I'm assuming that there will be some Morocco and some Paris because I know they'll always have Paris mm-hmm. yeah I feel like I can see like some frames of it and there's like Mac jackets and hats and at least one location with a piano and a, yes yes and a, and a guy named Sam who plays the piano that is correct yes all of that is um, true So I don't know. I feel like there are these things that are going to be familiar, but I honestly don't know, like, what is the engine. Mm -hmm. And I I know I think it's going to be very a tragic romance, Mm -hmm. but I don't think that's all. Is that all? It's not all that it is. There is definitely a plot that is being served. It's not like Notting Hill. (laughs) Uh, no (laughs) (laughs) where like the whole point of it is just like will they be able to be together that's like that's the question that we care about that is underneath some other project that they're doing my recollection is that it is more that i have no idea what that other project is gonna be i think it has to do with like smuggling some like french national across enemy lines because smuggling Because this takes place during the Nazi occupation of North Africa. Oh, Nazis. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is a Nazis thing. Yes. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. I guess I would have guessed the Mm time-ish. Yeah, it was made during World War II. So I suppose if it's North Africa at that time, it has to be Nazis. It's Nazis and and French, (laughs) basically. Because it was made like 1942 is when it came out. Like it was made while this was happening. It was like very of the moment. Oh, I also didn't know that. I assumed it was made in like 1947 or like I knew it was basically contemporaneous with when it was, but I didn't know it was made like during the war. I think it was. Yeah. Okay. So it's the war. Mm-hmm. It's the war. They say some really memorable things. They do. One of the reasons why I'm glad we're doing this one 
early is because when I was talking to my screenwriter friends about Chinatown and they were all telling me that I was wrong about Chinatown, one of the things that was said was they were like, well, the two movies that are held up as having the best screenplays, typically, swoosh, swoosh, typically, we had a whole conversation about why that's ridiculous, but typically are either Chinatown or Casablanca. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think just from what I know about it, I think I think I'm going to agree way more with Casablanca. Casablanca. I mean, having the best screenplay. It's got at least like five immortal lines. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm still going to have. I think I'm still going to have a little bit of my like mm, old things are old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's possible that I'm going to feel like well, but it's been done better since, and just because things get better (laughs) Mm -hmm. technology gets better you get to stand on the shoulders of the thing that came before yeah i think people like put on these like blinders and like pretend that they can't see Mm -hmm. that things improve generally because they love the old thing so much yeah and it's like you're allowed to love the old thing but it's also okay that like it's only better because that thing happened Mm -hmm. but it's still i still can be like well vitamins yeah. But we'll see. Maybe it'll be maybe it'll be the best screen. Maybe it really will be the best screenplay. Yeah. Or, or at least like really like, oh, they were doing something. Like, yeah. You, you could see. I, I mean, I, I think I'm I think it's going to be pretty good. Yeah. I, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a fun experience. Also, it's an hour 45. Like ah, they, what a dream. Yeah. They really got it pretty tight. Yeah. Great. Should we talk about Who's the woman? It's Ingrid Bergman. Yeah. Okay. And Humphrey Bogart. And then Peter Laurie and Claude Rains are also in it. Okay. Um, Claude Rains was the Invisible Man. Indeed. So yeah. should we talk I about- I definitely don't know that because I've seen the Invisible Man. I only know it because it's in the Rocky Horror song. Yes. What's Regina Spector. Yes, Regina Spector. Okay. Um, what do so- we think it's going to be and do we think we're going to like it? So I do know a little bit of Regina Spector. Like not a lot. Not enough to be like, oh, I already know this thing. But I do know a few of her more popular songs. Yeah. Well, so we all know the Orange is the New Black theme. Yeah. And- I think that's the main thing that I'm going in with knowledge of. But I'm expecting to find some things <laughs> like Donna Summer. I'm expecting to be like, oh, this is that. Mm-hmm. I remember this song from like two thousand seven college dorms. Yeah, I think there's going to be some of that. Cast your mind back to two thousand and six mm. when Facebook was still an active place where people of our generation like actually talk to one another yeah. and use their status bar uh, and all of that shit. Two thousand six Facebook was the shit. Yeah, in two thousand six. 2006, 2007. So, are you? Yeah, I want to say 2007, they took away the is. Yes. And a lot of people, myself included, continued to just put it in. Yeah. I originally moved to Facebook because I had been recently dumped and did not want to deal with all of the crap that was happening on MySpace. Great. Yeah, I never went to MySpace. I went straight to Facebook. Ugh. Jealous. But um, I had a live journal. I never had a live journal. I feel like I have such high school live journal vibes and I never had one. The point was that there were groups of people talking about what we were going to do when we got to school. And right as the semester started, Regina Spector was playing some concert in New York City. And someone was like, Regina Spector is playing a concert in New York City. And I was like, I don't know who that is, but I desperately want people to like me. Yes. So I will listen to some of these songs. Okay. And I was deep in my high school metal phase at that point. So you may imagine that when I turned on Regina Spector, I was like, <laughs> no thanks. Yeah. Okay. Not for me. Okay. And I have not really returned This to sounds it like since. exactly what this podcast is for. Yeah, exactly. Then. 
Because it sounds like to some extent you did pretend that you knew more than you did. Mm-hmm. I guess she's like kind of Russian. She is Russian. Yeah. She's Russian born, but I think she's like a New York person. Being Russian doesn't just leave you though. That's true. I mean, she is. she has said as much, I think. <laughs> I think it's it produces some intense people that part of the world. Yes, it does. See for reference, Masha Gessen. And everyone I know who is American but speaks Russian is incredibly intense. It's pretty intense, yeah. I went to Russia once and all of the Russians were incredibly intense. Yeah. You were also at the Moscow Art Theater. That's true. (laughs) Notoriously intense place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a self-selecting group. Yeah. Yeah, certainly everyone at the place where I was learning to do theater better, everyone there was like really intense. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I, I'm yeah, I'm just saying I think it's I think that that is going to inform her approach mm-hmm. to music. I mean, the origins of the new black theme is pretty intense. Yeah. What do you think her music is going to be like? Do you, do you think you're going to enjoy it? OK, so I do really like the oranges, the new black theme. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I feel like I have tried before. I'm not I'm not saying that I have listened to her before because I can't remember a single other. I can't like point to a title of song. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I've tried. Mm-hmm. And I've been like, this is not catching my ear. Yeah. So I, I, I'm concerned it might be a little abrasive. I, I don't know. I think it's going to be a thing. I think it's going to be one of those things, like a lot of the things that I'm just going to listen to it. And I'm going to be like, "Mm." and then I'm going to listen to it four more times. And then I'm going to be like, I love this. Yeah, I'm excited to let it grow on me because our last musical experiment was the first one that I think both of us have been like, nope, no, thanks. Don't really need more of that. Yeah, no, I, I think there's I think there's something in there for me. The thing that really worries me is that I've tried a lot harder with Bjork Mm. than I have with Regina Spector. And that has never really panned out. Yeah. And it's not that I don't like Bjork. It's just that it never really takes. It never re- I'm never like, okay, I've gotten to a place where this is an album that I want to put on in the car. Right. And there are some that I've given like the number of listens that usually tricks my brain into believing that this is my music. Yeah. I feel like there's going to be some overlap there mm-hmm. between Bjork and Regina Spector. But, but I don't know how much... Yeah, I don't know either. I just know some of her like more popular stuff, which is a lot of her like more mellow, whispery, like plinking keys and like. Oh, you think it's gonna be plinky? Some of her stuff is. There's like one particularly like one particular album or one particular song that I'm thinking of that's very like. Mm. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, plinky. Plinky. Yeah, I guess I thought it was going to be more, I'm picturing more saturation of sound Mm. than that, but I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm picturing some some harder edges. I mean, we'll see. Some rocking and rolling. Everything I know of hers, and it's only a few things, is I think only from one, maybe two albums, and it's from, at this point, almost 20 years ago. So, like, her sound may have changed a lot. Yeah. So I don't know. I am probably going to focus more on her early stuff than her later stuff, just because that's where her most popular stuff came yeah. from. But she... Yeah, I think I'm going to start at the beginning and see where I get caught into it. Yeah. At least looking at Spotify, I think she has like four or five studio albums. So it's like very doable. 
Oh, is that all? I think so. Huh, great. Yeah. So we can- Maybe we'll do it all. So yeah, Regina Spector, Casablanca. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this week. I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna like both, but it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be a little bit of a push. Yeah, I think this is gonna be breezier than last time. Yes, yes. For sure. Absolutely. So we'll take a brief break and jump to the future. See you in the future. See you in the future. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the future. Yeah, we did it. Yeah, we did it. So we're going to start with Regina Spector. Okay. All right. So on the count of imaginary four. Okay. One, two, three. I think that I really like it, but I'm having like a little bit of an identity crisis over that. And so I can't, I'm having a hard time like sorting out what are my feelings and what are my feelings about my feelings. I was going to say good in small doses, but okay, let's start with your <laughs> oh, thing. I tried to... <laughs> no, no, I, I, I'm kidding. I know, I know. Let's start with your thing. Okay, sure. So I don't like Ani DeFranco. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As I was listening to Regina Spector, I was like, I am enjoying this, especially the last, so there's five main albums, um, mm-hmm. and I liked the last three a lot more than the first two. But anytime I was listening to one of those three, I was like, wait, I think I love this. But then I was like having feelings about that. And so then I I was like, well, let me examine those feelings. And it's like, I have this self image of not liking pretentious things. Mm -hmm. Like what I don't like about Ani DeFranco is that I feel like, I felt like she was always indicating to me with her performance of her own songs that they were great songs and that I should appreciate them. Regina Spector is like, like, so if we're talking about like what is silly and what is serious, mm-hmm. Regina Spector is like definitely serious. Like everybody would say so, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. She's not frivolous. Yeah. But she is very goofy sometimes. Yeah, she gets goofy, but like a lot of things get goofy that are, that are, that's, that's why, that's part of why I find like the, general attitude around whether something is silly or serious like I find it so arbitrary Mm -hmm. but I think like as compared to like a Taylor Swift people would be like oh no Regina Spector is like she's a musician oh I understand like she's a she's like a the people who dismiss Taylor Swift would accept Regina Spector yes and I think like generally people even if they're like that's not my taste like people take her seriously as like a creative mind and a skilled musician yes and i guess i have all this self-image tied up in like that i'm realizing now that i'm like no i am a kesha girl like i don't want to be a regina specter girl i want to be a kesha girl and then but then it's like when i learn when i learn that i like things like slater candy it's like that is fine with me because they have like stick it to the manitude like Mm -hmm. they have like they're upsetting an expectation of like how women should be in music or whatever and i don't regina specter is not upending that at all no regina specter is the best version of an entire genre of music that she belongs to yeah i mean except in the way that i feel like all women who succeed at putting themselves into their music are upsetting the thing a little bit just by like bringing themselves honestly to it as whole people and not like weird projections. So I don't know. I'm like, okay, so what am I allowed to? I was like listening to Regina Spector and really enjoying it and being like, what are these rules I've put? What am I allowed to like? I'm allowed to like things that are, that we've agreed are silly. 
And I put myself, I've positioned myself as like the person who gives those things their dignity. And then I'm allowed to like rock and roll, like anything that's like, fuck you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's I'm allowed to like. But things that take themselves seriously, things that are like, that are like people who are projecting, like, I'm so good at this. You, you should like this. Mm-hmm. But Regina Spector is not like that. I think she's like, I did this. You tell me. I don't think she's asking for a reaction. I think she's just doing her thing. I think she is to an extent, but I also got the vibe from Regina Spector. I think the thing that's keeping me from really like loving her work, because she is very talented and she does do a lot of interesting outside the box stuff. Yes. I think the thing that's keeping me from really loving her is that she feels a little bit like... I think this is less true now, but like particularly when we were younger, we all had that friend, and this is a self-call out, who was like very fun at parties and very social to the point where it was almost hard to have a genuine interaction with them because they were like always trying to like mask their insecurity with fun. Yes. And particularly in her early stuff, I got that feeling from Regina Spector. Yes, Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. And that's what I don't like about the first two albums is that I think, yes, it is the thing that bothers me. That's like, aren't I so whimsical? Yes. And I think I said this to you at one point. I was like, it's like Zoe Deschaneling your way through songwriting. I think I said to you, is Regina Spector what happens if Tom Waits is a manic pixie dream girl from New York? And you were like, save it for the pod. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, no, because a manic pixie dream girl is by definition a story construction that serves men, male characters. Right, and Regina Spector definitely is not that. So, yeah, I... Like, how many times does she even talk about men in her songs? Pretty rarely. Yeah, uh, sometimes non-sexually. Yeah. Like, this song is occupied by a a male protagonist. Right, exactly. I feel like when it's intimate, a lot of times it's you. Yeah, it is. We don't know. Because she seems, I didn't do any research, but she seems pretty bisexual. She, all I know is that she is married to a man and has two kids. Oh, she has two kids. Mm-hmm. I wondered. I just don't feel like a straight person could make the word cleavage sound so mournful. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, she might be. It's just, uh, there's not a lot, honestly, there's not a lot out there about Regina Spector, comparatively speaking, compared to like how much journalism has there been about Taylor Swift's private life. Sure, yeah. There's like zip zero nada, yeah. comparatively speaking, about Regina Spector. Yeah, okay. So apart from my own journey, this is another thing I wanted to bring up. Is like, I feel like I'm learning this podcast is just like, is this just a reflection of how much I don't know? Or did we accidentally stumble early on on like the building blocks of like singer-songwriterhood? Because am I crazy? Or is Regina Spector like what would happen if you bred... Tom Waits and Taylor Swift, like a like a strain of weed. <laughs> She's the Hindu Kush of songwriters. I okay, no, but hear me out. Like I feel like she, I could imagine her coherently collaborating with either of them. Yeah, no, I, and that I totally doesn't make agree. any like who who else? Yeah, I don't know. Could, I don't could like reasonably do a duet with either of those. It doesn't seem like she's really into that. There's no collabs on any, there's one. I think, yeah. I think on all five albums. Yeah, and it's Um, with a member of the Strokes. Yeah, so that's like not really her jam, but like she definitely could. Yes, I think she could. And I think it's because 
she occupies this weird area where she is like a classically trained pianist and guitarist who also was super into like the early aughts punk scene in New York. Yeah, I hear and, that for her. And then just slam them together. I just feel like some of her like storytelling and some of her reflecting on an experience of longing or heartbreak mm-hmm. was giving me like Swifty. It was it's like what if Taylor Swift were like more esoteric? Yeah, it she does she's taking that like you were talking about the dreamy scapes of yeah. Taylor Swift. She's in that space pretty much the entire time. Yeah, but I feel like like Taylor Swift, sometimes it just snaps into like she'll be just saying all these things and then it'll just snap into like a really like plain spoken and deeply felt observation of the human experience. Yeah, and she also does that same thing that Taylor Swift and Tom Waits do where she gets really hyper-specific Yeah, about places in, uh, only in New York, it seems like, mostly yeah, places in like the lower half yeah, of Manhattan. Yeah, 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 she's not leaving, she's not leaving. The East Village, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. one of my favorite of her songs, Nemekite Pa, my French is atrocious, so that might not be what it's called, Yeah, off of her 2012 album, Yeah, is all about like walking down Bowery and then being on Lexington and talking about the people at the- There's a lot of like specific corners mentioned. Yeah, and then talking about like the shoes on people's feet. What's the one where she says that she found a human tooth on Delancey Street? (laughs) I don't remember what song oh, it's in. Yeah, but I she don't mentions remember. finding a human tooth on the ground in downtown New York. Yeah, but I, I don't remember because she does. And that I a lot. assume that it's true. Oh, certainly. <laughs> Why would you make that up? Yeah. Another thing they share that I find really seductive is that it's like I will forgive them a lot of sentiment that I might not tolerate from another artist because I think it's real. I don't. I don't think she's asking for a reaction from me. But I do know what you mean. Sometimes she's asking for a like winky winky reaction, especially in the first two albums. But like in the later ones that I'm really drawn to, it's like there's so much drama and like imagination Mm -hmm. that like if she wants to get a little sentimental or maudlin or nostalgic, like let her do it. Yeah. You know, like it's like it's 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 very theatrical to me. Yeah, there's that song, what is it called? The Trapper and the Furrier off of Remember Us to Light? That could have straight up been a Tom Waits song. Sure, yeah. Of just like catching all the forest creatures and the pelts having yeah. the bullet holes. Yeah. Like that is yeah. classic Waits. Yeah, there's a few There's a few that are like, oh, if he'd had a different personal history. She's very, she's very Russian. Yeah, she is. Well, she came here when she was 10. Yeah, so I feel it's it's still, it's still very much a part of... Who her, she is. Yeah. She's also, vibe. she's also, I think, no, she's not the first Jewish musician we've covered because Carrie Bronstein, but she is the first Jewish solo artist. And there is something like, there is like a Russian Jewish vibe to yes. her sound. Yes. There were a couple of times in her albums, it doesn't happen too often, but there were a couple of times where I was like, this sounds kind of klezmery. Yeah. Like every once in a while. It's definitely in her influences somewhere. Yeah. I think- if we're trying to articulate it to you guys, I, I have no memory of what we said in the before of this at all. I feel like I probably brought up Bjork. You did bring up Bjork. As a comp, mm-hmm. I think that is fair of me to have done, but I but I, I like it more. I felt more drawn in yeah. by this than I, than I have by Bjork, even though I was like 
trying to, I was trying to draw myself into Bjork for a while. Because when Bjork is like, I'm so whimsical, that feels sincere. Mm-hmm. That she is not pretending. She's as weird as she says she is. Yes. I think that Regina Spector, especially in her early albums, felt like she was pretending to be weirder than she was a little bit. Yes. She gave this interview that kind of made me roll my eyes. And I think it's from like 2006 because that was when most of the coverage for her was because that's when her most popular album came out, where she basically said, I wish I could write a song like yesterday, but I just keep wanting to write songs about meatballs. And I was like, that sounds like something that someone who was like trying to be very whimsical in the mid aughts would say. Yeah, the like, like that was the time, like I scrolled down and and I on her Spotify page to see who are the like recommended artists. Feist was there Mm. and like Kimya Dawson, like let's not forget the Kimya Dawson. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I do not. Kimya Dawson did all the songs in Juno. And they have this like very deliberately random curated whimsy. It's mm-hmm. it, it's very what we're talking about. Right. And I think some of the ones that I saw is there was a playlist called Sad Girl Starter Pack that sure. they recommended. I also wouldn't be surprised if I scrolled down and saw She and Her, which is Zoe Deschanel's band. Mm. Or she and him. She and him. Yeah, I think that's just like that's the scene she started out in. But I, I don't I don't feel like that even though the overall sound is not that different, I don't feel like the latter three albums are that anymore. I don't know if she just like kinda sank into I just do the thing that I do and it doesn't matter what is like trending right now or just got a little older or it's probably a combination of factors. I think the turning point for me, and this is what I was going to bring up earlier, the turning point for me is the song where on Far, which is her third album, where she sings like a dolphin. You brought that up before I'd heard it, and I think I was expecting it to be a lot dolphinier than it was. It does sound very seal-y, but I think- To me, that... it just sounds like her repeating the word eat Okay. in a human voice. <laughs> oh, to me, it sounds like, ur, 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 ur. What? Yeah. I just listened to that song again, and I was like- let me make sure I didn't miss anything. When does she go, or, 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 or? As I think she says, and the dolphin said, and then she goes, or, 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 or. Okay. That's that's what I hear. There's definitely one where she does, like, lip trumpets. Oh, yes. Which is at a, a similar level of, like, riskiness <laughs> to yeah. me. <laughs> I think what it is is that that was the point at which her whimsy became less, like, cutesy. Yeah, You know, like her first couple albums when she was whimsical, it was very like, I'm so whimsical. And in this one, like far forward, if she was making noises, it was like dolphin noises or she was like gagging. Yes, there's some gagging. There's some like, like you've just- Gut punching. Yeah. Intentionally bad beatboxing. Like she's really like going for some weird, like stuff that's, it feels like she has cast off the idea of like, I'm- it no longer feels like she's doing it for someone. Yeah. Because it's it sounds more off. Or like, I'm not like I'm that girl. Like she's not. She's just she's just writing songs the way they are inside her head. Right. She's gone from not like other girls quotey fingers to yeah. not like other girls because yeah. she's weird. Yeah. Well, and like just like settled into herself. But I think we should say that the the second album is the one that you are most likely to have heard songs off of. Yes. That, it's not a that's bad like, album. It's not bad. It's very, that album makes me feel like I'm watching Grey's Anatomy. Yes. Uh, for Because several of the songs were in Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. The second <laughs> song off of it was from How I Met Your Mother. Whoever was music supervising Grey's Anatomy in those early seasons, like, really changed the game. I don't, I've never watched a single episode of Grey's Anatomy. Okay. No, that's a lie. I've watched one. It Those 
I maybe it still is, but those early seasons, there was a point in the episode that would become like a music video and they were so good at identifying like what was going to be a hot track like the song chasing cars oh yeah 100 percent of my interest in the song chasing cars is Grey's anatomy based like i will listen to it when it comes on the radio because i'm reliving that powerful episode <laughs> of Great. Grey's anatomy but they did it they did it every single episode they would find these things and like weave it into the story and it was just like just like really effective like way to squeeze every last drop of feelings out of the story that they were doing and i feel like it also launched a lot of pop songs into yeah. now being like pop songs people know right 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 which makes sense the second album came out in 2006 so it just reminds me of my freshman year of college cuz that it just feels like part of the soundtrack yeah that was I had, yeah, I had a ether. college roommate who really liked the Samson song, so I knew that one. And then mm-hmm. there were a couple in that were in Grey's yeah, like me, and it just yeah. Fidelity Hotel song better. Like I knew, I knew those because they're everywhere. Yeah, so that is, I think, the peak of her commercial success, and that's what if you were gonna go listen to her stuff, that would probably be the stuff that sounded familiar. That's the stuff that sounded familiar to me, but it's the things that came after that. Well, oh, okay. And the other thing that I know her from and that you probably know her from is the You've Got Time. Yes. That song is not on any album, to my disappointment. It just exists as like a free song. But I really, I just want to talk about that song, man. Like, okay, because Orange is the New Black was the first big Netflix show. Like there was a long time that whenever I heard the like, whenever they did the N mm-hmm. for any reason, the like, in my head would go, Oh, yeah. Because that's like the next, I would be expecting the like locking sound that starts the song. And I just think, okay, the second album, I felt like I was in Grey's Anatomy. Many, many songs off of all three of the last albums. I felt like I was in Orange is the New Black in this, just in this abstract way, just like the energy matched. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like it's a testament to her as like an auteur that just knowing that one Regina Spector song, you know what I mean? That she's, it's like, it's like Tom Waits. It's like every song is like, oh, this could only really be you. Yeah, she feels, she feels like she becomes like very unique. Yeah. And it's it's really a pity that she hasn't put out an album in, you know, six years. Maybe she just hasn't wanted to, but, yeah. you know, it would be nice she's if she- She's busy being a mom and stuff. Yeah. But I would like to see, like, what's her at, I think she's 41 now. Like, what's the 41-year-old version of Regina Spector? Like, yeah. what is she doing musically? Because I'm sure she's still actively playing. Oh, like, yeah. Like, you can tell that she exists, like, in this music soup. Yeah. I feel like she was that good at piano when she was, like, nine. Probably was- uh, an apparent had an apparent gift very mm-hmm. early in the process. Yeah, most likely. I feel like the Russian ethos to me has a unique approach to like fear and like threat, which is uh, maybe it's not unique, but like it's something I expect mm-hmm. of Russians. Yeah. That it's like, no, no, strength or bravery is not the absence of fear. We respect our foes. Like the amount of time, like she has several songs that are like, you should be afraid of the cold. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like who is the winner here? I think it's winter. Yes. (laughs) That is left over. Like that's something a Russian would say. That That is is, left over from someone who is like, oh yes, weather is a like actively trying to murder me several months of the year, like outside is scary and we don't shrink from it, but we don't pretend we're not afraid. 
Yeah. Because that's a waste of energy. Right. Does she sing with a slight Russian accent? Yeah, she does. Okay, that's what I thought. I would. I was listening I to her. I assume she speaks like, with one. I, I assume so too, because she uh, trills her R's. Not all the time, but sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I feel like she's a little bit in control of how much of it there is. Mm-hmm. And then there's also like sometimes, like sometimes she does like other accents. Like she she'll do like a New York voice yeah. a little bit, but it's like a Russian person doing a New York voice. I found that charming. You can write, but you can't edit is a sick burn. I just also wanted to say. Which song is that from? It's called Edit. Oh, okay. I messed up. I just like really, it's like the punchline of the song. And I just like really felt, I was like, ooh, ouch, Regina. Yeah. That's also a really Russian burn. It's just like you have creativity, but no discipline. Yes. (laughs) That's a very Russian burn. That's a very piano player burn. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Classically trained. Yeah. So uh, what class is this for? Taming the creative wilderness within you. How far flung can your imagination go? And then how can you take that and make it a pop song? Like something that is an inherently like very restrictive form. Mm -hmm. I just feel like she's like very expansive in still a format that is honestly like it, it feels her songs feel like out there and wild, but they are verse chorus, verse chorus pop songs. And like things like like Human of the Year or like... Oh, yeah, that's a good song. Or like the one where the lake turns into oatmeal or some shit. Yes. I feel like she has something really big to say and puts it into a little specific packet that we can take in. You you could you could do a whole play of that, but she's like, no, I'll, I'll just take three minutes and 20 seconds of your time, actually. I heard a phrase about Tom Waits songs that's called movies for your ears. Do you sure. think that applies for her? Yeah, um, but like art house. Oh yeah. I'm gonna make an argument that she can go in the mythologizing Americana class as well, because I think she's- Yeah, it's just awkward because I feel like it's also mythologizing the Russian ethos with it. But I don't know, that's Americana. She's a New York Russian Jew. Yeah. Which I feel like is a very specific milieu, but she's very specific in her songs. Like she gives you a lot of like New York City in the rain, but not like dreary, it just is raining. Yeah. It's often very- She doesn't feel sorry for herself. No, she ever. No. Which is very Russian. Yeah. It's just like, oh, it's raining. Okay. Well, we're outside in the rain. Let's make the best of it. Yeah. She's got a lot of like tragic optimism to her. Yes. She yeah. definitely has. I don't know what happened, but there's like some hospital trauma. Oh, yeah. There is a couple of hospital Like songs. that we're working through. Mm-hmm. And, but it's never like those are not the times that she chooses to be maudlin. And I appreciate that. Yeah. It's usually like, ah, it's snowing again. Or like, I was thinking about Taylor Swift and there's one about New Year. She has a song about New Year's and I was like, that's a Taylor Swift thing to do. Like that one felt very, we we thank the year for the things that it did for us. That felt a little corny to me, but I really was willing to indulge it. Yeah. So I think there's a couple places we can put it. Is it in your curriculum? Like, are you going to recommend to other people that they should listen to it? If you're looking for... I mean, if you're looking for more Bjork, you probably already love Regina Spector. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you liked what we said about Tom Waits, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then you listen to Tom Waits and you were like, this is too much. Yeah. <laughs> Dial it back a little bit, Tommy. Yes. But you do like Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just give it a try. And I say try the later ones, even though that's not the peak of her success. Like, I just feel like there's more there there. 
Mm-hmm. I think there is some value to like Soviet Kitsch is fine. It, it's fine. It's not my favorite. And her second album, I think, is good, but too long. It's too long. And it's I think you said in the before that you were worried it was that her music was going to be plank plinky. Yes, there is a lot of plink plink. There's a, there's a lot of plank plinking in the and begin to hope. And I feel like there's less. Yeah. There's and there's still more... some, but it's like a tool in the toolbox and not the dominant sound. Yeah, and it'll be it'll be paired with something weird. Yes. Yeah, there's just more more depth to the drama yeah. in the the later three albums that are, that's okay. Yeah. So here's another one. If if you are like like I want to listen to um relevant singer songwriters, but I can't stop listening to Broadway musicals. Try this. Ooh, that's a good one. I like that. Just see. Mm-hmm. And I think we've said it a couple times. Taylor Swift fans, I think, are going to like Regina Spector. Yeah, I mean, unless what you like about Taylor Swift is the simplicity and the strumming. Yeah. Because you're not really going to get those things. Sure. It might be a little more of a stretch, but there's a like but there's I, a bridge. Yeah, I think, I think Taylor Swift belongs in a space where those are not the main things she's being appreciated for. Our simplicity and strumming. Yes, and I agree with you. Yes, so if so, if, if you've come to Taylor Swift because she is better than those things, then yeah, try yeah. some Regina Spector. I was actually fully ready to be like, I think Regina Spector is optional reading. She's not really in my core curriculum, but I think you've convinced me that there's a lot of value to her that I wasn't really appreciating before. I feel enriched. I, I don't know. It's hard. It, what is the curriculum for which this is mandatory? Like lady songwriting auteurs, like great personalities of pop song composition. Yeah, I think she belongs in in that in the in the core curriculum of that. Yeah. So I think overall we have a pretty positive review of Regina Spector. So if any of what we just said sounds appealing to you, go out and find her. She's only got five albums out, so you can get through her whole discography in just or, a few hours. As always, just repeat the things that we said. Next time she comes up and sound like a genius. This is true. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Casablanca. Hello. Hello. So now we're back and we are doing Casablanca. Yes. All right. So want to count us in? Yeah. One, two, three. Love. Pretty good. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I am so glad to hear it because I was like, dialing back my reaction a little bit because i was like oh what's it what's it gonna be what's it gonna be because when when we watched it last night i I kept anthony deliberately in suspense about my feelings yeah when we watched it last night i was watching it and the whole time i was like yeah this is this is good this is some good stuff and then as soon as it was done i was like so what'd you think and you just went we're saving it for the pod and then (laughs) left the room and i was like oh shit Oh no, this is going to be a bloodbath. I'm going to have to fight for Casablanca, aren't no, I? No, okay, great. You don't have to fight. I thought it was excellent. Good. Great. Yay. If film if film nerds want to say that's one of the best screenplays ever written, like go, yeah. That movie is I was thinking about it yesterday. I was like Casablanca is what Chinatown thinks it is. Yeah, I was thinking that, but just only because of the way that we've set up our lives. But like as things that are held as pillars of screenwriting, yes, it absolutely is. Like it has all of the tight. It's tightly plotted. Yes. Having the the vague second tier education that I have in screenwriting, like I I just, (laughs) I don't feel (laughs) that. Fucking burn. (laughs) (laughs) No, 
<laughs> Sorry, it really got me. First and a half, I guess. Second, second tier in LA. <laughs> <laughs> sure. It was probably still above the first tier anywhere else. Sure, sure, sure. Like the things that you're supposed to do, just like the thing that any like first year professor would be like, just do these things mm-hmm. to make your screenplay feel whole. Chinatown didn't do those things. And Casablanca, like, certainly did. Yeah, I totally agree. It is really tightly plotted. You understand who pretty much everyone is and what they're about as soon as they show up. There's a bunch of scenes of, like, we need to set up this dynamic and then we need to set up this dynamic, but they're all necessary and none of them are... Like, I know because a lot of movies have been made since Casablanca (laughs) Mm -hmm. that that's what's happening, but it doesn't feel plodding or like they're setting up, but they're also like doing something. There's something that's happening in the scene. Yeah. Like yeah, that's like, just like basic scene writing. It has to serve a purpose for later and it has to do something watchable now. And every scene did that. Yeah. Like from the beginning when they're like, okay, two German couriers have died. And then you see people getting rounded up. So you're like, okay, the police, they're French, but they care about the Germans. Why? Yeah. And like, because we're not in 1942, we don't immediately go like, oh, occupied France. And then you see Peter Laurie talking to someone, being kind of a slime ball and picking someone's pocket. And then he shows up at Rick's later and he's like, hello, Rick, I killed the two couriers and I have their secret documents. Yeah. You know, like that. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I believe he did that because he was so smooth earlier. Yeah. That was just like a great five minute sequence of like, you know where the police are, you know who Rick is, you know who his friends are, you know who this guy is. Yes. And just in as far as like writing a protagonist, which I also felt Chinatown failed to do or failed to do in a way that I, that made me invested. Every one of those little setup interactions like shows us something about how Rick operates Mm-hmm. And like his value system and what's gonna be hard and his challenges. Yeah, like the whole thing, the German Mater D, who when people are asking like, oh, tell Rick to come and have a drink with us. And he's like, he's oh, like, no, 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 Rick doesn't drink yeah. with guests. He, and doesn't, then, he doesn't sit with guests. He, he doesn't, doesn't sit with guests and he definitely never drinks with them. Floating. Yeah. I just felt like he was really well drawn and like that, the archetype of like, give me somebody who wants to be selfish, but is drawn inexorably to doing the right thing over the opposite any day. That's what makes a good, like, like he's not, he's not a detective type. No, he's not. But he has, the, he has that vibe a little bit of like where he is like kind of running the board the whole time. Yes. So if you're going to give me, if you're going to tell me a story about the guy who runs the board in a subtle way. Mm-hmm. who plays from the bottom. Yeah. That is the attitude that I want. I want him to be like, don't catch me doing the right thing. Yes. And he does run things like so subtly, like the scene where the Bulgarian woman, who, by the way, Bulgarian woman with like a perfect Sussex accent. Sure. <laughs> comes to him basically implies that she's going to sleep with Claude Rains to get visas for her and her husband. Oh, is that Claude Rains? The police officer. Yeah, that's Claude Rains, who was the invisible man. Yes. But he just goes to the roulette table and goes to the Bulgarian guy and he just goes, bet on 22. And then all he does is just look at the dealer. Yeah. And the dealer's like, all right, you don't even see how he does it. Lands on 22. And then he just goes, keep it there. Yeah. And then the roulette dealer just does it again. Someone is like, hey, is this game fair? And they were just like, who the fuck cares? Shut up. Yeah. Like, who cares? And the guy's like, okay. This is my gin joint. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like running things as the gin joint guy. We we hear these whispers that he used to be sort of more involved in 
political movement. Like fighting the Italians in Ethiopia and fighting the fascists yeah, in Spain. Yeah, like actively, like physically involved. Yeah, like as a gun runner, I think. Uh, it was like wild. And now he has taken whatever survival skills that taught him and applied them to running a bar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just like a really compelling story for me. Like he got out of the game or he tried to. Yeah. I liked him. I liked the writing. Like, I felt like it had the quickness of some, like, oldie-timey movies that I know I like. Now we would find it corny and overwritten, but, like, they get away with it because that's what old movies do. Yeah. They're like, ha-ha. Like, I felt like it had that, but it wasn't cynical. Like, I associate that tone with, like, with cynicism because, like, other movies that it's present in are, like, trying to show you how... Or even, like, fucking, like, Oscar Wilde plays Mm -hmm. (laughs) are trying to be, like, ha-ha, we're so clever and that means nothing matters. And this was like, oh, we're so clever because everything matters. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or like, because this is what matters to this man. And I just, like, really was vibing with that. I, it can't be the only movie, the only oldie timey movie that does that, but I just don't. Yeah. I don't see them all. Yeah, there there are others, but I do get what you're saying that like the vibe of it's very quick because there's a lot of characters who are literally fast talking and also metaphorically fast talking yes. characters. And so like it feels natural for them to be just like, like Claude Rains, just pivoting on a dime. Yeah. Like find a way to shut the bar down halfway through the movie. And he's like, uh, gambling. There's gambling here. I yeah. can't believe there's gambling. And then someone literally comes by and is like, here's your gambling winnings. And he's like, thank you. And just pockets them and walks away. Or just like even the dialogue, like the patter, the little like tennis moments that they have, especially that romantic, the will they, won't they mm-hmm. patter. Yes. <laughs> but anyone's patter, really. Like, like, I feel like we get that in like, what, like, what's the one with the newspapers? His Girl Friday? Yeah, like there's so much patter in that, but it serves them being mean to each other and being self-interested. Yeah. And this movie, it had that fun, quippy vibe that old movies get to do, but it wasn't like, it wasn't just so they could be mean to each other. Like it it would end up uncovering like some shit. Yeah. Uh, um, Like it, it would peel them. Yeah, like it, onions it instead really, of adding armor to them. It really felt like every line was crafted to serve a purpose and like move the story forward. Like, yeah, we might find like the wittiness of it overwritten now, but the idea of like just every conversation has to happen. Yeah. And it has to happen now and it has to happen this way. Yeah. In order for things to play out the way you want them to. Yeah. I recall us knowing how like quoted it is and quotable, but it's like, I feel like every one of those famous lines was like completely earned in the moment. And I understand why people have bothered to remember it for, sorry, what is math? 60 80, years. 80 years. 80 years. Oh 80 yeah, years. 60, yeah. <laughs> I did that thing where it's just always two th- the year 2000. Yeah, no, 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 I, I do it too. <laughs> nice even numbers. Yeah. People have bothered to remember those lines because in the movie they're like, yeah. Yeah. And also they're well-written. Yeah. Like, here's looking at you, kid. At least we'll always have Paris. Yeah. I did not realize that here's looking at you, kid, was going to be repeated. And I found it very... Oh, it was very... Like, it touched me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, and of all the gin joints. Yes. Like... Ugh. I really liked Ingrid Bergman. I thought she was great. Yes. I thought the way they wrote her character was great because she wasn't, like just a damsel in distress. You got the idea that no, she was she like- No, she had a lot of agency. She did have a lot of agency. And she was also the kind of person who like, it really felt like she was really agonizing over this, de- the, her decisions that she made. Like you yes. could tell that it wasn't just like, 
oh, I'm sad that I hurt you because you're the protagonist. It's like, no, she's sad that she hurt him because she cares about him, but she also loves her husband. Yeah. And her husband is like the best dude. Yeah. Her dilemma is real and she makes it feel real. And like her husband, the Czech dissident who spent a year in a concentration camp was presumed dead and then escaped. Yeah. And is like escaped the Nazis five times. I honestly, I thought it was going to be a lot more romance than it was. Like, there's just a lot of other stuff going on. Yeah, it was like both plot and character driven, which I feel like is a rarity. Yeah. Like, usually get one or the other. Yeah. Like, once all the pieces start to fall into place, because it does have a little bit of that, like, film noir puzzle box vibe to it. Not as much as a real film noir movie does, but there's definitely, like, a lot of steps. There's a caper involved. There's a caper, and as I noted, he has film noir vibes. He does. It's occupied by the same cast of characters, I think, that he would be in a film noir. He being Humphrey Bogart, yes. who, like, I would definitely watch more Humphrey Bogart movies if that's sure, his yeah. vibe. Not only is the movie well-written, it's also so well-acted. Yeah. Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman, Claude Rains all do a great job. I really like the way that they wrote Claude Rains' character as, like, Listen, I'm a corrupt official. I'm not a fucking monster. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I just want my palm greased and I want to get along to get along. Yeah. Go well, and like, I'm also making tough decisions. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody's hands are clean when there's Nazis. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, nobody's hands stay clean when there's Nazis. You can't, it's impossible. And I, I feel like this movie did a good job engaging with that. I found it a really interesting window into like, a little piece of like the World War II puzzle that I have never thought about deeply. Like what was going on in Morocco? I've never considered it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this movie is like a cool little examination of like, it's not just there for like exoticism. Yeah. Like the specific politics of being in an unoccupied territory of an occupied country where the occupying regime is 100% evil. <laughs> <laughs> is like very like important to the plot. Yes, like though all of that really matters to every decision that the characters have to make. Yes. I just found that really a compelling situation for them to be in. Yeah. Also, can we talk about this movie came out in 42. So it was made. Yes, that blows my mind. It was made right after the US entered the war. It was probably filmed concurrently. So the fucking balls to just like the called shot at the end of the movie without spoiling the ending, one of the people goes, oh, we're going to win the war. Yeah. The North African campaign hadn't even started yet. Like they had no idea who was going to come out on top. Yeah. I think it's impressive that the people who who made this were able to reflect on the situation like in real time. Yes. Thinking about it now, I do think that it probably had an element of like, I just know that a big part of the American situation at that time was like, getting people on board with doing it at all. Yes, that's true. So I'm sure that, like, I'm sure to get it onto the screen, they had to be pretty like, this is worth doing. Yes. Like, Nazis are bad, but they can be stopped. I think those things had to be there. Yeah, I agree. And the Nazis in this movie, I think because it was so early in cinematic Nazi history, they weren't what they became, I feel like, at the darkest moment. Filmmakers were like, well, every Nazi is just a serial killer in a hat. <laughs> Whereas the yeah the Nazis in this movie, like, they're assholes. You don't want to root for them at all. They're definitely the bad guys, but they're like... But they're also just, like, military grunts. Yeah, like, they're the bad guys in the same way that, like, the Empire in Star Wars is the bad guys. Like, they're not... They just 
are on they the suck. wrong side. Yeah, yeah they, <laughs> they just suck. just like the military of the people that we don't like. Right, exactly. And they do a really good job of portraying that very quickly. Like the Nazi captain, who's like the main Nazi figure, Major Strasser, I think. Piece of shit. Don't like him. But he also doesn't like... We don't see him like break a little kid's fingers or like knock a... <laughs> Like, I, I feel like Nazis are, are always going around just, like, knocking things out of people's hands and making them pick them up. Yeah. That sort of unnecessary demonstration of, like, this is a total tangent. But a lot of portrayals of Nazis, especially, like, as we were growing up, seemed really invested in the narrative, uh, like, an individualist narrative that, like, to be in the Nazi party or military, you had to personally be have already been a really bad person. Mm -hmm. And like everybody who participated in that has violent and evil impulses all of their own. And that's why they became Nazis. And that's just like not the case. Right, like they can't possibly be true. Yeah, and it's like kind of a dangerous way to look at it. Nazis, you know how they work? Yeah, (laughs) mass brainwashing. Yeah, they like, they did a lot of stuff to make people think in a way. Like, I feel like a lot of the stories I was presented, and I don't know if it was like the times or like what people felt was age appropriate or whatever the fuck, but like, I feel like it was like every Nazi was a psychopath Mm -hmm. and that's why they did the things they did. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's not why. They -hmm. did the things they did because someone who made them feel seen asked them to. And most humans are very vulnerable to that. Yeah. And we should not try to say otherwise with our art making. Sure. So the Nazis in this movie are not that portrayal. They yeah, are very, no, no, like, I mean, they're they're very banality they're, of yeah, evil. Yes, banality. Yes, that's what they are. And it's like, because probably in the moment, like things that I'm talking about in the 90s are like, you know, there were decades and decades of processing and of like, cementing the idea of the like the video game version of just like americans coming in and like cutting all the nazis down and like being heroes and like they're all the bad guys and we're all the good guys and it is that easy like as it was happening as much as i think they probably did have an obligation to sell nazi evil it wasn't like legendified yet it wasn't like it was real it was real it was just happening like they were just the opposing army so like of course they're dicks and we hate them and we have some idea that some shit's going down like it is a big plot point that ingrid bergman's husband was Was in in a a concentration camp they say that a lot know that that's going on yeah and we don't like that but it's not it hasn't become the stuff of like picture a bad guy it's a nazi that couldn't possibly be the like the vibe at that point yeah yeah too soon yeah also i just want to point out i don't want to dwell on this too much because it's really not in the movie there's no jews except i think headcanon remember when the mater d sits down to talk to the jewish people or the two other german people sorry the mater d sits down to talk and share a drink like a third of the way through the movie with two germans an older man and his wife and they're talking to each other in what sounds like German, but they have a bit of a funny accent. And then they're like, oh, we're speaking as much English as we can all the time so that we can practice so we don't sound out of place when we get to America. I think those two were Jews. I do remember that scene. That's so interesting because I thought those two, I was like, I like that I don't know their politics, that they're just like fleeing because they don't want to be a part of this conflict. Yeah. And now... That just would never happen now. Like if we ever saw a person with a German accent, the first thing out of their mouth would be their political alignment at that time. 
so that we as an audience could know how to feel about them. And I just like that it's like, these are refugees. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter what they thought when this thing started. That's true. And uh, that is the way they play it in the movie. I just... They could easily be Jews. Like I said, headcanon. Yeah. Like I I definitely looked at them and I got a vibe. Yeah. So, I mean, what class is this for? I think it's for Profiles in Courage, our class about the different kinds of heroism. Sure. Yeah. I am not keeping track. I'm making new classes every time. No, I know. I think it definitely deserves its spot in like cinema mm-hmm. <laughs> how to make a, how to make a good movie yeah that's kind of the main one for me like i guess poignant love stories yeah i was also thinking something like, like what is it how do we tell a love story that is sad but it's also kind of not Very it's sad but we're but it's okay that we're sad yeah like it's bittersweet like it's not but romeo it's like, and juliet where it's like ugh, everyone everybody's dead <laughs> Yeah, it's like, oh, man. But like the ending, without spoiling the ending, like I think it's the thing that wouldn't necessarily be the first thought, but it's what you realize afterwards you wanted to happen. I was surprised because what I knew going in is that it doesn't work out. And I just was surprised by how I felt about that is what I will say. Yeah, it is the ending that I thought Chinatown was going to have, which I think is why I had such a negative reaction to the ending. The female character, the female lead, she gets what she needs and the bad guy gets what he deserves. Yes. That's what I was hoping for at the end of Chinatown. So the like gut punch reversal, I was like, wait a minute. No, that's not what was happening here. Just like, no, we can't have nice things. Why? Because the 70s are film time <laughs> yes <laughs> fucking new cinema baby yeah <laughs> yeah 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 why because it's it's the it's the talkies now yeah I don't know. <laughs> like technicolor motherfuckers yeah roman polanski's your daddy now like Ooh. you gotta set <laughs> a chill go up my spine everything has to be terrible because that's just that's just what makes sense man like stories having elegance fuck that Just punishment. Punishment is what makes sense. Yeah. And I didn't like that. And I love the way that this movie is just, it's just, it's... It's it's elegant. Yes. It's such a good... T to B. Yeah. And if you watch this movie and you're like, oh, this is a little cliche. No, 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 no. This movie made the cliches. Yes. Other movies do what Casablanca did because Casablanca did. Yes, definitely. And like, I am so sensitive to things feeling cliche and I didn't feel that way about this. Yeah, because it's it's done well. Like in this story, it feels earned. Yes. Because it doesn't feel like something that was put in because it's what's expected. It feels like that's where they were going. It feels like that's what they wanted. Yes. So how you're supposed to write a screenplay is you decide where you want it to end up and then you build a series of events that make that where you should be. And I think that's what this did. Yeah. And so this is definitely in my curriculum. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like in my school of life, if someone's like, what old movie should I watch? And it's like Casablanca. Oh, I want to be a film nerd. Then watch Casablanca. Yeah. Like, yeah. I haven't watch seen... Casablanca build from there. Like we talked about Seven Samurai last time and Seven Samurai is not a good first old movie. But no. if you know you're into old movies, it's a great movie to watch. Casablanca is like, sell me on old movies. Great. Here you go. Yes. I would put a couple others in there but we might cover them on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, I would so I put a couple others in there, but most of them would be quippy and cynical, mm-hmm. like I was saying. I can't think of another old movie that's like sat in its truth, and that's what I liked about it as much as this. 
Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. I am really glad that we can both highly recommend it yeah. for pretty much anyone. Also, it's only an hour and 45. Yeah. Less, it's an hour 42, yeah. and three of those minutes are credits. Yeah. So go for it. Real quick. Real quick, great movie, absolutely deserving of its spot don't, on everyone's do top not, list. I will say, though, don't be a dick about it, though. Never be a dick about it. Like, this is one of the first times that I feel like we've aligned with critical opinion of something. <laughs> like, of the things we've done that are, like, really important, usually we're like, no, it's not. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And this time we're like, no, it is. And so I just like, I'm feeling like I need to slap a cautionary on it that it's like, I am not giving you permission to watch it and be like, please just go watch it and and enjoy it like a film and don't be an asshole about it. That would really help the film out. Yeah. I mean, I think we could put this disclaimer on our entire podcast. We are giving you power. Don't use your power for evil, please. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this is so that you don't have to be that person. Right. Yes. Don't yeah. be that guy. Yeah. Just don't be that guy. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about for Casablanca? No. Nope. All right. Well, guess that about does it for us on this episode. Don't forget to like and subscribe, rate, review oh, yeah. all of those fun things. Oh, I no, I I think we should say a little more though because for us in our timeline, the podcast has just gone live like since yes. our, the last time we recorded and we already have a few reviews and that's very exciting. And so I just want to remind you guys that we said that we would do, if we get 1000, I think we said reviews, but I'm amending that now to five star reviews. And I don't feel bad about that because honestly, like even outside of this, if you are going to something to rate it and you rate it anything other than five stars, like I think you're a psychopath. <laughs> yes. Like that's just a crazy like thing. Like you're to either do. a troll or an insane yeah, person. Yeah, like you just don't need to do that. Yeah. Like you just don't need to do it unless you're like specifically trying to get something out of it, like United Airlines. Like you got to go give them a shitty review so that they give you your refund or whatever, but we're not refunding you. Yeah. No. So you gave your hour to us. Thank you very much. It's ours now. Yes. So I think, I think that's a fair amendment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when we get those 5,000 stars, Yes. We will do Cats and the soundtrack to Cats. Yes, we will do the original Broadway soundtrack to Cats and then 2019 cinematic event. The Taylor event. Swift film. Cats. Cats, yes, the Taylor Swift film, Cats. Anthony has proposed that we add an earlier incentive because that does sound like a lot. Would you like yeah. to talk about that? <laughs> yeah, sure. A thousand is a lot and I think we are ambitious, so that is what we would like. But if we get to a hundred. Yeah. So we already when? promised when we get to a hundred five-star reviews, which honestly, that's not a huge ask. Yeah. Right? No, no, that's a pretty reasonable ask considering the number that we already have, which I won't say because it's probably different by the time this comes out. If we get to 100, we already promised you that we would read Twilight. If we get to 100 five-star reviews, we will watch Twilight. We will do an episode that is Twilight and Twilight. Yes, we will watch Twilight. So get us there if you want the reviews on Twilight, which by the way, I have seen and I do have opinions on. I have seen once, but I, I don't think that it's even fair to say that I watched it because I was very drunk and in a room full of other drunk people. We just like looked up every once in a while to be like, still ridiculous, yes. Uh, We will cover this later, but I have seen that movie seven times in the span of a week. That is a story for another time. For when we get- For when we get to- uh, Yeah, if you want to hear that story, Go rate and review us, please. Yeah. And maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it wasn't ridiculous. Who knows? I won't say. We'll find out together. So well, until I'm just th- saying there is a, there's some mystery left. I don't want people to feel like it's... No, it's going to be fun for us. It'll be fun for them. Yeah. So until then, that about does it for us on I'm a Sophisticate and So Can You. Good night and good luck. Brr.